saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One See decay. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that this patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, 
nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, forever you are glorified. Forever you are lifted high. Forever you are alive, the resurrected Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Father God, we thank you that your word endures forever. We think, Lord, of the words of Pilate to Jesus, what is truth? We can thank you, Lord, this morning. We know what the truth is, and the truth is Jesus, and the truth is your word. And so, Father God, I pray that you will open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears to listen. May your your word land squarely, on our minds and our hearts this morning. Pray for an anointing of your spirit, Lord, on Christy, who speaks to us. Bless him. And I pray you'll just change us by your word to us that you've given to him this week. I pray that you will change us to be more like Jesus. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. All my cars are usually second-hand cars. And very often when uh, the, the current car begins to go and you begin to realize that you're uh, seeing the mechanic all too often and you begin to make a decision that it's time to change the car because the amount of money that you're spending trying to repair the car uh, doesn't seem to make it worth it. And then you embark on what is probably a worse experience than an extreme sport. Um, if, if, if some of you have, have been through that, it's that jungle when you go on Auto Trader and eBay and all the other sites, and then you go and look around. Some, some of the um, probably sellers that have a better reputation through word of mouth, avoiding others. And uh, you begin this journey of trying to find the, the, the next car. And you keep learning, and you learn a lot, and you learn fast, and you mostly learn through mistakes. Uh, I remember after purchasing uh, one of my former cars, um, it didn't take long. It it wasn't related, but it didn't take long, and I had a puncture. 
and uh, how to take it to, to, to get seen. And uh, I make myself comfortable while the guys uh, are, are looking at it. And then they come in and they say, um, could you just tell me where is the wheel nut key? So, you know, obviously this is, you, you know, this is a very familiar language to a pastor. You know, this is just, you know, it's, it's yeah. I'm a, so I, I said to him, I said, uh, what, what's that? <laughs> and he proceeded, you know, to take me outside. To, he realized he didn't have anybody to, you know, he needed to do a show and tell. So he said, uh, and, and he explained to me what, what it was. If you want to find out afterwards, you know, public service announcement, I'll, uh, I'll help out with that. So I said, I don't have a clue. He said, did you not get one? I said, I don't think so. He says, was it not, you know, inside, you know, here or there? or on the, we, we looked everywhere. No, there was nothing. So obviously, it didn't come. So I said, so what are we going to do? And he said, uh, well, um, I can't help you until you get one of these. So I said, where do I get one of these? Well, he says, you probably need to go to the dealership and get one ordered. So at a time, I realized as well that the dealership of my particular brand had moved from Morecambe, and the nearest one was Preston. So get yourself to Preston, get an order. You know, they did all right about three, four days, pay some more money, you know, get the wheel nut key, and bingo, the wheel is changed. Often, you just need the right tools at the right time. And so many times, actually, when it comes to sharing my faith about Jesus with other people, and this is what happens when you become a follower of Jesus, you become a brand ambassador. You begin to talk about him. It's, it, it's part of what, how he changes your life and what makes you a follower of Jesus. No, nobody necessarily has to uh, force you to do it. You do, just do it very naturally as an overflow of that experience that you have. It's like being a football fan. You know, no, nobody tells me to, you know, to follow Villa and see what the latest news and what the odds are with regards to the new manager. Glad my prayers were answered and he's gone. The other one's gone. Hoping for better results. You know, nobody tells me to. I go on forums and look at it. It's part of who I am because I am so passionate about my football club. But far bigger, it's a small comparison, far bigger, I'm a great passionate follower of Jesus, and I want to tell other people about him. But so many times, I find myself in the same situation as I find myself with a wheel nut key, just not having the right tools. Anybody here feels a little bit like that? I'm suspecting we do. There are times when we just genuinely want to share Jesus with other people. Just don't know how. I think to ourselves, how do I go about it? And what's amazing as we continue our series in encounters with God, looking at different encounters with God and how they shape our lives. This morning we looked at that fabulous passage that Mark read to us at the birth of the early church when the Holy Spirit was being poured upon the church. And I want us to look at it from that angle of how God equips us to be his ambassadors. 
God, meeting the God who equips us and seeing in what ways he did help the early church. And I would suggest to us that he's also wanting to help us, help me and help you in order to be his ambassadors with the people that we meet with. And the first thing that really strikes me is, is right at the very beginning, as the disciples are being gathered together, they have this uh, incredibly mystical, powerful experience as they gather together to pray, where the Holy Spirit is being poured out upon them. And you can see that actually what was happening to them attracted the attention of the other people. So I want to suggest to you that the first tool that could be really helpful is that, and it's all a God-centered approach. It's nothing to do with me and you. It's about what God does through us and for us. And the first thing that strikes me here is that God creates an opportunity there. God creates opportunities. So they're gathered together, and uh, they experience this amazing thing. And then if you look at verse 6, It says this, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that we hear them in our own native native languages? And then he says in verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up, verse 14, with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. See, God creates an opportunity at the day of Pentecost. This isn't just about an experience for the disciples. Yes, of course, they would have been incredibly encouraged after being battered, after the disillusionment of seeing Jesus crucified. And then the the, the roller coaster, if you like those, goes up as Jesus appears to them and proves to be the risen Savior. But then the roller coaster kind of starts descending again because Jesus ascends into heaven and leaves them. And they're thinking, now what? And it's actually at that moment that the Holy Spirit comes as a promised gift upon them. So it's a big encouragement for them. But it's not just an experience for the insiders. It is an encounter and an experience for them that spills out, overflows into the whole community. It isn't kept locked in a room. It isn't as if they have this experience and they end up telling their grandkids later on in years to come. But it is an experience that has an immediate effect on all those around them. It is so powerful. It is because God is creating an opportunity. You see, this was a supernatural experience. And it was sovereign. It was unplanned. It wasn't as if they pressed some buttons in order to make it happen. I think they were incredibly surprised by it. And that supernatural element attracted the interest of those who were there. And the reaction was different. Some people were amazed. They thought, how can this be? We can hear them speaking our own languages. And obviously these people are not people who are likely to... They looked at them and they thought that the Galileans, really, they're not likely to be scholars knowing our languages. So that would have been an incredible attention-grabbing moment where they said, 
something's going on here that's supernatural, that's unusual. Something is happening here that's worth paying attention. And as they were looking at this, some of them wanted to know more. They were intrigued. They were curious. Others were mocking. There's always going to be a reaction like that. Every single time you probably share with some of your friends something that was a spiritual experience that you had, some people were kind of going, wow, that's interesting. I'm okay. I want to know a little bit more. Others were thinking, well, it's a bit bonkers. And other people were just having a laugh. That's a common reaction. And it's not unusual that this is happening at the day of Pentecost as well. But a beautiful thing is that when they hear them speaking in their own languages, they hear them declaring the great things of God. There is a message that is God-centered. It wasn't just weirdorama. It was something that was calling them to pay attention to God. There was a focus that was really clear. And that's a tool that God gives them. They could have never, ever make, if you skip, you know, if you're one of those that in, in, in your younger years, I used to do that. I, I, was, I was an avid reader, in, in, particularly in my teen years. And sometimes I, I would be particularly reading police thrillers, and sometimes I'll try to cheat, you know, try to look at how it ends. Anybody else cheated? None of you. You're good people, you are. And you cheat, you go right to the end and try to think, you know, how is it going? I mean, most of the time you can't figure it out anyway. But if you cheat and go right to the end, I'm telling you how it ends. It's thousands of people unexpectedly come to publicly follow Jesus as a result of this one encounter. That would have been impossible to orchestrate. I mean, you could have taken the greatest event manager organizer. You could have hired the best PR team in the world, even the one that's going to make the conservatives look like a united party at the moment. And honestly, you could have not made this happen at all. Yet it happened. Why? Because God behind the scenes gave them this tool. He created an opportunity. He poured out his Holy Spirit to encourage the believers, but also created that attention that drew a crowd in, that provided a platform for Peter then to share the good news. And there you have it, a second tool. So not only God creates opportunities, but God enables communication. So so you find that Peter stands, stood up, realizing that people have questions or people are pushing back uh, with regards to what is happening, calling them drunk. So he stands up and he explains that they're not drunk and then he preaches to them. God enables communication. First of all, we're fairly familiar with Peter. If you are here last week, you would have heard a little bit about Peter and about his story of both betrayal and restoration. Yet now you find him, and this is astonishing, astonishing. The same Peter that probably tried to hide by going to the familiar and going fishing because he didn't think he was worthy to be one of the disciples of Jesus. After he encounters Jesus, and you need to listen to last week's message to find out a little bit more about that, is now bold enough to stand in front of an audience and speak for Jesus. 
And this is astonishing because Peter was not a theologian. Peter was not a preacher. Peter, as far as we know, had never done anything particularly to this kind of scale. So I haven't got a clue what the crowd size would have been like. But if you've got thousands of people responding to Jesus, and obviously not everybody responded to Jesus, there would have been a great number of people who didn't respond to Jesus. There would have been thousands of people. And Peter is standing in front of that crowd. And he is declaring to them, explaining to them about the centrality of Jesus and the need to repent, to turn away and come to him. And he goes through references from the Old Testament. He points them towards David. He would have been a hero of the faith for the Jewish people. So he speaks to an audience speaking their language, connecting the dots for them theologically and historically. Remind me again, what was Peter's education? What was his job? It's not a rhetorical question. What was he? A fisherman, not a theologian, not a historian, not a motivational speaker. And yet somehow, because God is giving him the tools, because the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon him and is using him, he's able to stand in front of that congregation, that big mass of people, and he speaks with clarity, he speaks with conviction. You could have imagined that somebody in the front row could have heckled him. Saying, Peter, Oi, you! I remember you from the fire. You betrayed Jesus. Who do you think you are? Standing in front of us right now telling us about Jesus. You fraud. You liar. You hypocrite. How many of us would have dared stand in front of that crowd after that failure after having those skeletons in the cupboard like Peter did. Not many, I guess. But that's the miracle. It is God that is at work in and through Peter. It isn't about Peter. It isn't about his ability. It isn't about his education. It isn't about his skill. It is all about what God can do through him. An ordinary man, uneducated, A man who'd failed miserably by betraying Jesus. Who'd fallen so badly. And yet a man who God is using. Who communicates so, so clearly to people. Explaining to them what is happening. Making those links from the scripture. Using references that they would understand very clearly. In order for them to make sense of what is happening. He's looking at the prophecies that have been fulfilled. And always the focal point is Jesus. He's saying to them, it's about Jesus. The Jesus you rejected, you need to come to him. You need to turn to him. That would have been a bold message. Don't forget, Jesus had been crucified. And there could have been people, part of that crowd, who would have been part of another crowd, who would have shouted when... Pilate gave them the option between Barabbas and Jesus. They would have said about Jesus, crucify him. That would have been very courageous of Peter to do that. So with courage, with passion, with clarity, 
he explains to Jesus this, and it is because God is behind the scenes enabling Peter to communicate really well that Jesus is the promised Messiah and calling people to respond to that. The third tool is that God is actually beginning to work in those people's hearts. So not only does God draw a crowd and create an opportunity, God enables Peter to communicate very clearly, but then actually God begins to work in the hearts of the hearers in order to connect them with the message. Look at verse 38. As Peter, actually before verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? There's an incredible reaction within them. It's what we call in theological church language, it's conviction. It's almost as if a mirror has been put in front of them. And for the very first time, they saw reality as it really looked like. Probably most of us would have an experience of people who are struggling with an addiction. People that we know, people that are part of our lives. And sometimes it, it, it takes that very critical moment when, metaphorically speaking, you're able to put the mirror in front of them and, and, and they see it. They see it. And they say, I realize I have a problem. I'm drinking too much. I've got a problem with my temper. My spending is out of control. That's conviction. It's when you see yourself as God sees you. Not as other people see you or as you see yourself. But as God sees us. And... There is that moment of conviction. They were cut to the heart. Luke is using that metaphorical language saying they were cut to the heart when they heard that message, that invitation to come to Jesus. And it's wonderful because they're very proactive. This is what a good listener to the word of God does. That when a conviction comes into play, there's a call to action because they say, what shall we do? That's the way to listen to God's word. That's how I listen to God's word. That's how I read God's word and listen to it being taught and preached. I always ask myself, I, I, I pray that I would be convicted, that God would always put a mirror in front of me so that the word would expose who I really am. I want to see the truth. A couple of weeks ago, or two or three weeks ago, I, I, I realized after church, my fly was undone. And I thought to myself, well, thank you very much for nobody noticing, particularly my brothers, you know, and telling me. If you do, please tell me. I'd rather you tell me. I will be embarrassed, but I'd rather know. It's a little bit the same with, with sin. I'd rather know. I don't want to walk around exposed with sin in my life without God's word pointing it out to me. And they ask that question and say, what shall we do? They are convicted. Why? Is it because of Peter's speech? Well, a little bit, but not really. It wasn't Peter's skill in oratory. It wasn't Peter's ability to logically connect all the dots. It wasn't that he was so funny or so moving or so emotive in his speech that caused the people to react. It was, again, you guessed it, God himself that worked in their hearts 
and caused them to have a reaction that was right. They could have been replying with cockiness. And again, you and I would know, sometimes we're being caught red-handed, we've done something wrong, and somebody challenges us about it, and our initial reaction is very defensive. We go, what are you talking about? You're no better than I am. They could have done that. They could have said to Peter, who are you to tell us? What are your qualifications? Oh, Mr. Fisherman from Galilee, betrayer of Jesus. Thank you very much for the great lesson in hypocrisy. But they didn't. Wow, they didn't. They didn't play it safe as well, which again, we do. I mean, it's a, it's a British national sport, you know. If you follow, you know, British problems on Facebook or on Twitter, you know. When we're just so great at kind of evading, uh, you know, a, a reaction or a decision. They could have said, sounds interesting, mate. That's, that's a really lovely talk you gave. But we're just going to go on and live the same way. You know, if you want to be a bit more posh, we go, oh, Peter, that was rather thought-provoking. Great, great lesson in history. Wonderful insights into David. Oh, and that prophecy. Oh, lovely. Great stuff. Wonderful. Wonderful. I'll be, I'll be thinking about that. I shall ponder it over the week. They, they didn't do that. They didn't deflect. They didn't reject the message. Instead, they were cut to the heart and they said, what must we do? They didn't delay. There was an instantaneous reaction and it was because God, the Holy Spirit, through the words from the scripture and through what Peter shared with him, convicted them of sin. I mean, nobody likes to be shown their sin in fact churches have done so bad over the last 20 30 years they've eliminated they've obliterated that word because it's offensive and you don't want to offend anybody so you're not going to talk about sin well you you take sin out of our biblical language or theological vocabulary we're, we're naked we've got nothing left so peter is responding to their conviction of sin and he replies, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and of all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So Peter answers their question. And he calls them to repent. Repent means a turnaround, 180 degrees change of direction. So if you're a liar, you choose to speak truth. If you're a cheater, you embrace honesty and so forth. And he calls them to be baptized, which is a public act of allegiance to Jesus. This is mind-blowing. This is High standard. I mean, Peter could have just said, you know, guys, if, if you only just, you know, quietly bow your heads and pray in your own hearts these words after me. I mean, we sometimes cringe when a preacher can make an appeal in a church and they would say, would you, would you want to put your hand up? You know, and it, it's usually kind of 
ultra stealth, you know, everybody with their heads bowed down, eyes closed, except everybody under the age of 16 who's kind of looking <laughs> around. Who is it? So that nobody sees it, you know. And you can make the most cowardly kind of little, you know, little wave, you know, so nobody can see you. Peter doesn't do that. The bar is really high. He's saying you've got to turn around from your old life and you've got to be baptized. That's a public as an adult going into the water, going down and coming up. It's not about babies. This is about adults who themselves make a decision and you do it publicly. I mean publicly. I mean not in the bath at home, you know, with you and Barry and the cat. This is in front of absolutely everybody, the whole crowd of people, your friends, your relatives, strangers, foreigners, anyone, everybody that's there. So the bar is raised high. Because I think Peter wants to instill under the authority of the Holy Spirit that a Christian life is a daring life, is a life where you need to make those decisions and be brave and courageous because following Jesus will require, require that courage. It isn't, there's, there's no such a thing as a sort of secret fan when it comes to Jesus. It is about a public allegiance. And it says, he warned them and pleaded with them. I think he was a bit intense. <laughs> the warning and the pleading is, you know, when a preacher gets a bit intense, I think that was Peter in that, in that moment. It wasn't one of those where he said, oh, I rather politely want to invite you if you'd like to come or if you'd like not to come. No, he pleaded, encouraged them. He warned them because his passionate heart wanted to see them come to Christ. And as a result of God working and convicting them of sin in their hearts, this is a result, this is when we cheat and go to the right at the very end, but we got to the very end. Those who accepted the message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wow. Wow. 3,000. In one day, in one occasion, responded and these were people who were baptized. It's not one of those secret fans. Oh, I'll follow Jesus secretly, but not publicly, just in case my neighbor might see me and have a laugh afterwards and mock me for following Jesus. No. Everybody was ready to count the cost and pay the price and respond. Why? Because they had been convicted of sin, and it was a deep work that God had done in their lives. And these are the tools that God had given the early church in the book of Acts in that moment. God created an opportunity for them. God enabled Peter to speak the message with clarity and conviction, a biblical message that was Jesus-centered. And then God enabled those who were listening to respond to that message. And those are the same three tools that we need, frankly. That's what I need. <laughs> I, I, I need for God to be able to bring opportunities before me. I need God to enable me to communicate in a way that is clear and convicting. And then I need God to be able to work in people's hearts to convince them that actually this good news of Jesus, the Jesus that comes to save us from our sins and transform us, is true. 
and it changes people's lives. And what was available to the early church is available to us. How do I know that? Because it wasn't about the early church, and it wasn't about Peter, and it wasn't about the crowd. It wasn't about technique. It was all about God. The God behind the scenes. The God who poured out his Holy Spirit and created an opportunity. The God who enabled Peter. The God who convicted people of sin. It was all God. And the same God is at work in me and through me and in you and through you. So there's absolutely no reason under the sun why the same isn't possible. The same tools are not available to us. Why? Because it is God. The same God is at work as he was then right now. My encouragement to us is to fight that sense of fear and insecurity through which so very often we end up with these great wishes to be ambassadors for Jesus, but somehow it never translates into real life, and instead be people who are confident in our God, not confident in ourselves. We, we, I, I mess up. I am, I am rubbish at communicating. I am, I, I, am, I'm, I'm in no way able to change anybody's heart and convict anybody of sin. No way, Jose. No chance. But I have a God who can. And my encouragement for us to have is to have a sense of expectation. That actually, while we can't, he can. And actually we can step into this day. And we can step into this week. And we can step into the rest of the year fully confident. Because God can create opportunities. Because God can communicate the, the, the message in a way that's relevant to whoever we're talking to. Because God can convict people that this message is truly right. We can have that confidence. If only we have the sense of expectation where we look out for those opportunities. And I think we, that's, the, the two things for me is a, is a change of mindset. A change of mindset where we are not concentrating on our insecurities and inabilities. Where we keep on thinking about what we can't do. And they are true. They are true. But instead, we focused on God's ability. On what he did and what he can do. And we have that sense of confidence in him. We have that sense of expectation. We pray into it. You know, it's kind of difficult to pray into something you don't believe in. Or you don't have an expectation for. But we pray into it. So we prepare ourselves. You're getting yourself geared up for the day and the week. When you wake up in the morning, you're getting yourself geared up. You know, you have that expectation that God will bring opportunities. And God will bring people. And God will give you the right way to say things and the right things to say. And also that God will work with that. And you pray over that. And you go into the week and you go into the day with that sense of expectation that God is going to be at work. And that God will continually equip us. And sometimes the equipping would be an equipping in the moment. And sometimes the equipping actually happens as we gather together. Either on a Sunday or as part of your small group. God continually equips us. And if we make ourselves available to be in those environments. Where God can equip us. That will help us to grow. And understand. In how we can represent him. And be his ambassadors.
So the most amazing thing is that this is possible. It is possible for God to change people's hearts. It is possible for God to use ordinary people like Peter. It is possible for God to bring opportunities, and it is possible for God to help us to communicate that clearly with conviction. It is possible for people to ask that question, what must I do? And to decide to follow Jesus. Why? Because God is at work. And more than ever in days like this, how how we need that. How we need that. My prayer is that really all of us would, would begin to rewire our thinking and, 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 and our view of the week that we have, our priorities, our passions, and begin to see ourselves as being here as God's ambassadors. And suddenly, the, for those of you who are retired, whatever the full schedule of what you have, for those of you who are in work, the, 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 the real set of different things that you have to do and the different responsibilities, we begin to see beyond those into thinking, I'm not just here to live as a retired person. I'm not just here to be a parent and a person in work, but I'm here with a different identity. I'm an ambassador of Jesus. And wherever I go, I fulfill that role. I am sent, an ambassador of the kingdom of God and of the king of kings. And you wake up in the morning with that sense of, I am not unworthy. I'm not here by accident. It's not as if I don't have a clue what I'm doing with my life. But instead, you look into the mirror and you say, There's an ambassador of the king, just like Peter. Many failures, many weaknesses, thoroughly unequipped to do this. Yet nevertheless, here I am, Lord. I step into the ring and I step up and I'm fully trusting you to do an amazing work in changing other people's lives. Let's stand together and pray as Ellie and the band lead us in worship. Why don't we do that just now as, uh, as we respond to him? Take that moment to express that sense of realigning yourself with God's purposes. Maybe a time to reflect that the way we've been living our life, the things we've been chasing... The things that have started to control our mind were so, so different than what they should be. We've forgotten our identity. We're not just here to be anonymous. We're not just here for ourselves. We are here representing the king. And we are people with a message. A good news message. A fantastic message. A message that so many in our communities desperately need to hear. So why not 
recommit ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, have me. I want to dedicate my life, my passion, my priorities to this high purpose of serving you and of being your ambassador. I want to be like Peter. I want to speak to other people about you. Unless you bring opportunities, I can't do it. Unless you enable me to communicate, I can't do it. Unless you convict people's hearts, they're not going to respond. But God, you can do all these. And all I can do is come empty-handed before you and say, Lord, take my life. Take my time. Take my passions. And use them for your purposes. And Lord, we live with an expectation that you will be at work and that many, many people, our work colleagues, our clients, our friends, our neighbors, our relatives, will be able to hear through our own mouth the good news about who you are because you're so beautiful, you're so kind, You're like no other. We surrender to this cause, this high call of being your ambassadors as we want to serve you. Amen.